think of everything to reduce us this week. So I'll just say welcome to Once again, in Peter uh, Casa Cuates, I'm going to start referring to, to this recording of uh, We're in Peter Cuates' living room with Peter Coates. Hello. Uh, we've also got Andres with us. Hello. And a very special day. Uh, last week we were joined by Joel, and this week we're joined by an even more, arguably, um, venerable international news, proper news, with a capital P and a capital N, um, broadcaster in German town. Arguably being the uh, operative word. Thank you. Uh, also known as Swiss Dam, Chinese Dam, Jewish Dam. Any more Arab Dam? German Dam. Uh, um, but German Dam is, is the default. Welcome, Mr. Schweinler. Um, we have an interesting, I believe, weekend of action to get through, which for various reasons, which I'm not going to share on the podcast because they're not entirely happy, um, I missed almost all of over the weekend. However... The upshot of it is that there were two games on Friday, which I did see after those. We already knew that Colón were going to finish the weekend just gone, still top of the league. What's going on? We're over halfway through the championship now. Colón have 18 points. They beat Tigre 1-0. That's right, ladies and gents. There was a goal in a Tigre match. It was only the fifth of the season. Um, it was inevitable. There wasn't going to be anything after it. It was a second-minute penalty which was the only way Tigre's deadlock was possibly going to be broken. It was scored by Lucas Alario. Uh, did anyone else catch the match? I could, I could see most, most of the match. Uh, if, if you missed the first two minutes of it, it would have looked just like every other Tigre match yes. this year, wouldn't it? It was astonishing. Fortunately, I, I watched the, 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 the match from the, from the beginning, and, and it was, I, I think it was uh, very similar to... To the Boca, uh, when the previous uh, period of Yanchi at Boca, when they scored the goal and then they sealed defense and, and no one could score, that you're, was the you're kind comparing, of. You're comparing Colón to Bianchi's Boca. <laughs> well, uh, yes, seriously, not in a very serious way, but to to just to 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 understand how how Colón plays, he the, their play is like that. It's like try to bet. To score a, a, a single goal and then and then all all of the ten players are uh, on their field and if they can uh, uh, build a counter attack they do it and if not they try to defend mm. uh, strongly defense is the, the key I think and they they defend well they are not uh, like the ten men that kick the ball away they 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 know what they can do and they do it yeah. And, um, unfortunately for Tigre, it kind of looked very much as if Tigre weren't really aware that they'd fallen behind. It was as if they also missed the first two or three minutes of the match themselves and thought they were just going for the nil-nil. Um, but it is remarkable how Tigre look completely unbeatable 
even when they lose. Because it was just the same. It, it was. I'm, I'm sorry they, for they it. actually dominated possession. They had more chances, but nothing. Well, more they had more shots on goal. They didn't have too many actual chances. Um, so it's still very much a problem of, of creation for Tigre. Fabian Allegri apparently um, offered his resignation after the match. It was rejected by the board, who then talked him into staying. No such problems for Diego Arcelo, of course, Colón's manager. Um, Colón are now well out of the relegation battle and, and doing absolutely fantastic work, as you say, Andres, Peter. We should probably mention as well, I'm sure Joel would be happy to know that the goal was, as was, was uh, done to uh, Javier Garcia. You're quite right, yes. Javier Garcia, the, the goalkeeper, who uh, Joel is a, an enormous fan of, as he was telling us last week, uh, rather sarcastically. Um, was at fault for giving away the penalty which led to Alario's goal in the oh it says here third minute but the penalty was awarded in the second minute so I'm standing by what I said initially um, so Colón still the leaders 18 points now from 9 matches um, the other match on Friday was Olimpo versus Rafaela which finished a 2-1 victory for Olimpo and Olimpo now are looking just possibly like they might be able to stay in the division they're well above. They're well clear of the relegation battle. Yeah, they didn't keep something like the current form up, obviously. Uh, well, I would, I would expect them to stay in the division. I think. Just, I mean, this is another example of them winning at home, which they tend to do. Particularly because so many teams are dropping points um, that normally the psychologically sort of important barrier for, a, particularly for a first um, season in the Primera, is fifty points. Or if it, you know, if, if it's your second or your third season, you want an average of fifty points per season. It's looking very much like that's not going to be necessary uh, for this season. I mean, Olimpo have 37 points from one season and they're mid-table in the relegation battle. Gimnasia and Central have, have both got just one point more, which is remarkable when you think we were talking six months ago about how crap Olimpo looked, how they were going to pick up a draw here and there if they were lucky. Um, and Gimnasia and Central both started off the torneo in ECL pretty well and now they're only a point apart in the season, uh, season-long table. Um, but the other sides are, well, Godoy Cruz down the relegations over the 126 points from three seasons, Kilmes on 78 from two seasons, Argentinos with 121 from three seasons. They're, both, they're all three of them, uh, with apologies to you, Dan, of course, because we'll get on to Argentinos in a minute. Um, well short of, of the 50 point per season average that, that would normally be required to stay you know, comfortably clear of the relegation zone. So I think that this season we might see a very low uh, points tally for whoever survives. The match that I didn't... Sorry, does anybody want to say... What I was going to say, is that indicative of the poor quality of football throughout the league, that there's not much to choose between the top teams and the bottom teams, or, you know, it's... Uh... It could very well be, because, I mean, you have to... I mean, bear in mind as well that Colón are now on 130, mm. so they're four points clear of Godoy Cruz. Uh, I believe they've got to play Godoy Cruz, possibly this weekend. I can't remember the exact fixtures. But at some point before much longer, so they could go seven clear. And this is having had six points deducted. Um, remember during the two towards the end of the initial so in some ways yeah I mean, definitely there are far more teams dropping points and the way things change around what you may be saying six months ago about a particular team talking about a limp ball being you know struggling to get points all of a sudden they're playing well so what was relevant six months ago isn't relevant anymore the teams are changing and personnel Absolutely. are changing so rapidly that uh, you know almost anything is possible and who would have predicted Cologne top of the table now you know three months ago six months ago so, yeah, or, or, or what will happen in six months time you know, two so, months ago the end yeah. of January before it kicked off they were in crisis they, they had a change of president that was forced by all of this uh, 
by the unpaid transfer stuff and the unpaid wages to players. They've basically lost almost their entire first team, um, had the contracts rescinded as a result of unpaid wages and so on. And here they are playing with kids, um, kids who previously weren't getting into a team who were severely compromised in the relegation battle, and they're absolutely flying. Um, it's brilliant. On Saturday and Sunday, as I already mentioned, I missed basically all of the football, but we had, well, we had a couple of uh, perhaps surprising wins and we had a couple of not-so-surprising results. Um, the two wins on Saturday were both eyebrow-raising to some extent or another. I'll mention Central versus All Boys first. It was 2-0 to Central, normally. Uh, a team winning at home against All Boys wouldn't be seen as that big a result, but Central hadn't won in five matches and All Boys hadn't lost in five matches. Um, so Central rediscovered their scoring touch just when they needed to. Uh, did anyone catch that one? They only with the goals and uh, Abreu was, was key in that, in that uh, victory. Uh, be, uh, most importantly because of the penalty that he shot it normally mm. when the goalkeeper uh, the always Cambiaso was uh, no I think he was sent off before the penalty and it was replaced by Lechenda yes Bernardo Lechenda Benny Legends yes well uh, Lechenda in that case I, th- I, I think he he thought that Abreu would do the, the panenka the, mm. and, and he shot it normally and then the, the, he made a, be- um, a very beautiful a beautiful assistance to uh, Acuña I think yes who scored the second goal and well, surprising because of the previous matches of both, both teams. Um, but uh, well, uh, I, I only watched the goals in that case and for Central, and and I can see that I, I could see that Abreu was was key, and it was su- surprising for me too because Abreu wasn't uh, uh, so important for the team as as he did in the in this match against the boys. Indeed, and the other surprising, I whistled slightly when I said that, I'll try and say it again without doing so, apologies if your eardrums were hurt by that listeners, the other surprising, that's better, um, result on Saturday, which was also a home win, this really was a big shock, Racing won again, for the first time since the first weekend, they've gone, uh, well they won the first round, they lost in the, uh, well they didn't win at least in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. So they'd, uh, they'd picked up one point in their previous seven matches and they managed to beat Belgrano de Cordoba 2-0 in the Cilindro. Unfortunately, English Dan and Ilan aren't here to tell us about that one. Did anyone else manage to watch it, though? Sebastian Saka scored the first. He's the goalkeeper, of course. I'm assuming it was a penalty. And Gabriel Alche scored the second with about two minutes left to go after coming off the bench. I didn't see it, but I, I noticed collective sighs of relief and jubilation all over Buenos Aires for that one. So, I mean, I think this the strength of the, the, the racing following throughout the city is quite remarkable for a team that's won so little over the years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, a lot of happy families, you know, wives happy that their husbands were, you know, um, relieved at the victory. And, I don't know, kids happy their dads were talking to them. It was quite remarkable, I think, <laughs> what a racing victory does for the city. The big news there is the result because all, all the the atmosphere that was uh, around the the, the, the team in uh, uh, outside the, the the field was so so important so so hot that then uh, even Olave told the, uh, when he was interviewed after the the, the match that uh, he saw some pancakes there because 
the, the, the supporters were uh, they they said Saharucho as oh, the pancake one yeah. was the Argentine parlance for someone who changes opinions yeah. very easily they flip from one side to another they they said that uh, or most of supporters said that uh, uh, or thought that the players were uh, not the same side as uh, as Mostaza as, as Reinaldo Merlo mm. and after the match they were all all uh, there wasn't like an ovation standing ovation uh, because they they won a match and that was most important uh, than the match itself I think uh, Racing did play very well they they uh, defeat a very strong match uh, team like Belgrano very hard to beat and, and they did it so now of course they will be they have credit because they will be at ease they will be much more it it was like fresh air for them so yeah. um, and with another penalty did Saha move even higher oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Racing's top scorer for the season let's, let's see who, who those are Sebastian Saha now is Racing's top scorer for the Toneo final he's got three goals Gabriel Alcha has two Luciano Vieto Diego Vichar and Valentin Viola all have one each um, I'm not going to look it up just for the Donneau Inicial just actually no we might as well I can pause the recording for a second while I do so uh, during the Inicial oh he didn't score during the Inicial but he uh, is now the third top scorer for the season as a whole because Bruno, Sucu- Bruno Suculini scored uh, four goals during the Donneau Inicial Luciano Vieto of course who scored one so far in the final got three during the Inicial so Vieto and Suculini are the joint top scorers for the season as a whole and uh, Sebastian Saha is the third highest scorer for his club he plays in goal just to repeat that um, the other two matches on Saturday both ended all square one of those was one that Mystic Sam had predicted and Mystic Sam had he been watching would have been biting his fingernails towards the end of it because Guido Carricio put Estudiantes 1-0 up in the first minute of the second half um, I have that's one of the I've seen most of the goals from the weekend and I can't remember that one um, and the youngster who we've been talking about a little bit in the last few episodes Jorge Correa uh, after coming off the bench scored an equaliser with about three minutes to go for Vélez so it was Vélez 1 Estudiantes 1 fourth draw in a row between those clubs going back now to the start of the 2012-13 season a cracking goal by uh, Correa yes it was wasn't it Yeah, I, I, was, I wanted to say that and I couldn't remember whether um, as I said I've seen most of the goals but I was on the point of falling asleep when I did so so I'm getting them a bit mixed up in my head uh, did anybody else see the game does anybody else have anything to add I was part of it and I think that the draw was 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 a the result that fit the match because Estudiantes scored the, 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 it was like a, like Vélez like uh, starting asleep the, 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 the second half Estudiantes kicking uh, Right in, in 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 the second minute, I think, yeah. with a very nice goal from Carrillo, a nice header. But then they tried to to move the ball to 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 uh, uh, to move it uh, all around the, the the field and and Vélez when uh, 40 42 minute 40 second minute uh, scored the equalizer. But I think it was a a match that if it ended. With no with no goals, it would be okay, uh, the same because uh, uh, there were no differences between one team and, and the other. No, um, the other match now we, we can talk about in a little more depth because well, first of all, because it involved the best team in Argentina, 
Um, and it also involved uh, a side, I think it's fair to say, not with all due respect, um, uh, the best team in Argentina. Uh, oh, though it must be said, the best team on the day, Argentina's juniors, played a lot yeah. better than Newell's. Okay, yeah, Newell's this, had this feeds in, of course, to mm. one point that I mentioned last week is, is that Newell's, uh, and we're about to see them away, in fact, because mm. uh, just as we're talking now, the teams are lining up in Montevideo, they're about to kick off against Nacional de Uruguay in the Copa Libertadores. Um, Newell's had been ridiculously impressive in their last few home games, mm. and yet away, they've lost two and drawn one of the last three, right. lost, lost three and drawn one or something. Like that. Uh, never looked like winning this one. I mean, okay, you could argue they had Copa Libertadores on their mind, you know, they were slightly distracted, but at the same time, to consider these were the champions before last. Mm. Uh, the paucity of their attacking, the ideas, mistakes they were making in defence, you know, were very, very poor. And Gabriel Hainz was, was uh, suspended. Yeah. Um, we should also mention, since we've just brought him up, that Gabriel Hainz, since we last recorded, has announced that he's going to be retiring mm. at the end of the season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, his, his replacement, Guillermo Ortiz, came in to replace him alongside Victor Lopez in defence. They're not exactly spring chickens of a 15 years old fresh out of the youth academy no, no, lack of understanding the, I mean, the, the, the closest opportunity for goal came with mistakes in defence a back header I can't remember from which defender uh, but the back header which went over the goalkeeper's head who just about managed to scramble it off the line um, yeah, I mean Argentina's juniors problem they played by far the better football but just absolutely useless in front of goal and just really can't get a shot on goal I mean left uh, you know, the Norse defence very little to do. But uh, is, is this uh, would would you extend that criticism to Argentina's matches more more uh, generally, Dan? Or, or do you? Think yeah, there's a difficulty putting the ball in the difficulty. Never mind getting the ball in the net. Difficulty getting shots on goal. Making one the goalkeepers work. So. Argentina's mm. scored five times so far during the final. Something that like that. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's. Piscolici has scored four of them and he set the other one up. That's right. So he, it's a completely Piscolici-reliant yeah. attack. And which obviously the opposition knows all about. And he was by far their best player. I mean, Facundo Coria was, was back in the team you know, after, after being out for a while. He looked promising. But apart from that, you know, uh, they had the better, the more possession. They played better in midfield. But as soon as they got anywhere close to the Newell's area, just lack of ideas, lack of lack, who knows what, lack of ambition. Mm. Um, so goals were, 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 you know, didn't look likely in this game. Uh, was it Jose Sanz Argentinos' debut, or has he played for them? I think it was. I think it was. I mean, he made an impression. They took him off in the second half, but he made, you know, some impressions. I mean, he's got the beginnings of a team, Borghi. I mean, he's, you know, he's doing his work. The question is whether you know he's got nine games left. Uh, whether he's got enough time, you know, to build a team good enough to dig themselves out of the hole they're in. Because so, they're bottom of the relegation. They're bottom table, of the relegation. Of do, do you think yeah. he's obviously Borghi is, is a, a name who? Um, is linked as a cult figure to Argentinos mm. both as a player and as a manager as a player and a manager I mean he won G- them the championship in 2010 you know yeah. with a team of leftovers old guys young you know youngsters uh, well, as Joel points out he mm. had Ortigosa in that team so. certainly yeah so he, in fact, he had half the uh, San Lorenzo half, team in those, day, in those days yeah um, but g- given that he's got such high standing at the club and that Argentinos were in big trouble when he came in already mm. do you think that he would survive a relegation do you think they'd stick with him in the B I think they would. I'm not sure whether he would want to stay in the B. Uh, is a big question. I mean, he's a man with you know, ambition and talent. You know, I think somebody else would snap him up. He's certainly got the backing of the fans. You know, I think if, if anybody can do it, then he can. But they're well aware of the fact he arrived late and he had very little to play with. But uh, so we've certainly seen an improvement since he arrived. It's really the question is whether that improvement is, is enough and will be quick enough.
and it's an improvement from a very low base. The other matches were all played on Sunday. There were four that we've not mentioned yet. Um, they consisted of three home victories and one, in hindsight, although Mystic Sam went for an away win, seeming almost inevitable draw. There was a 2 1 win for Godoy Cruz over Arsenal. Mystic Sam got that one right. Godoy Cruz needed the win much more. Arsenal have been crap in the league since the beginning of the year um, and lost yet again. Uh, that was uh, done with goals from Mauro Obolo, uh, two for, for him, for Godoy Cruz, and one in between them for Mauricio Eperduti for uh, Arsenal. Uh, Gimnasia de la Plata, sorry, not de, Gimnasia de la Plata beat San Lorenzo 2-0. Uh, San Lorenzo clearly with one eye on the Copa Libertadores. I think that they played on Thursday night, didn't they? And they're playing yes. again on Thursday night this week in the Libertadores um, and their qualification is still very much up in the air so not much to report in that one did anybody catch it by the way or either of the two I've just mentioned San Lorenzo was very unfortunate they had bad luck with the Gimnasia second goal especially because it was a, 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 I think it was a um, Pereira, the one who scored the goal, no, sorry, Correa also. And the, yes, the, Naco Correa scored for yes. San Lorenzo, yeah. Yes, the, the, the play was very a bit dirty and, and there was a rebound and there that they put in a bad position, Torrico, Torrico in a bad position and, and couldn't, couldn't deflect the ball and it was at the very end of the match. So mm. they were some, somehow uh, unlucky, but as you said, they are uh, they are most uh, uh, pending on, on the Copa Libertadores than than the, the torneo final up, up to tomorrow because if they don't win against the Independiente del Valle, their possibilities to pass to one round round of sixteen will be will be ended they will uh, no, they'll, they'll still have a chance they, uh, the standings in their group at the moment in the Libertadores are Botafogo are top with 7 points Union and Bagnola have 6 of course those two are playing each other and then as you say San Lorenzo are away to Independiente del Valle uh, both of those two teams have got 4 points okay. so if San Lorenzo draw and Union and Bagnola beat Botafogo San Lorenzo are going to have to beat Botafogo in the Nuevo Gasometro and hope that the other match um ends in an Union Espanola win no it doesn't end in a uh, no yeah I, I, think that, I think that'll do uh, the mathematics are quite complicated to work out when you're already half a fernet down and um, had a bit of a long day uh, so anyway I'll stop trying to do that on the fly right now but uh, yes San Lorenzo very much yeah, prioritising yes I think that if they draw tomorrow they will be depending on other results and, and uh, uh, of course the they have still chances in the tournament final in case they they get uh, out of the Copa Libertadores, but with matches like the that the, the they had the other day against Gimnasia, as I said, uh, they were a bit unlucky. Uh, but anyway, if you get one point or or, or zero or, or nothing is in, in that case, I think it's, it's mostly the same because yeah. uh, Colón had defeat uh, uh, Tigre and, and they won't reach reach them anyway. Definitely. Um, 
the other point was that it was a damaging, well, a defeat as, as Andres says, but particularly with the teams above them tending to drop points, obviously with the exception of Colón uh, this weekend, who remained top of the win. Um, it was a damaging match for San Lorenzo, irrespective of the result, because Mauro, don't call him Cheto, um, and Carlos Valdez both picked up injuries. Um, Valdez may or may not play on Thursday night. He might be fit by the weekend, but he's a major doubt for it. Seto has um, fractured a metatarsal and is out for the rest of the season. And he is a, an important player for them. Um, so it's it's not great for San Lorenzo, of course, as we mentioned. They've got Caltaruccio coming back at some point in the next month. Um, Gonzalo Veron is, is going to be out for possibly at least as long as Caltaruccio um, and he's due to come back soonish. They're going to have talent in attack, but at the moment, Edgardo Bausa is not trying to use the Italian attack they've already got. He's played against Ignacio, with Ignacio, with uh, Gonzalo Properi, Nestor Ortigosa, and Enzo Kalinski. Uh, sorry, Nestor Ortigosa, Enzo Kalinski, and Walter Kahneman um, as the three midfielders behind Leandro Romagnoli, which is a much more defensive outlook um, than San Lorenzo's fans expect. Obviously, we haven't been able to have Mariano on for a while, but um, I'm sure that he would say the same thing. A lot of San Lorenzo fans are rather upset that he's not going for it a bit more, particularly given the fashion in which they won the tournament. That's something year. that they, uh, Bausa is being criticised about. Yeah. They, they, he, he mostly puts uh, five defenders when they play away. Hmm. And, well, he, uh, perhaps then when you when the, the ball is, 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 is running, uh, they, they, they are not that defensive, but w- when you read the, the line-up and they you read that, it, that he puts five defenders, you you think that he, he will try to defend the point. Exactly, I mean, Otigos is a, a deep-line playmaker, but both Kalinski and Kahneman are, are certainly more uh, more defensive players. At least Kahneman, when he's played in midfield, tends to be a defensive midfielder because he also plays um, a full-back and is a fairly attacking full-back. But when, when he's used in midfield, he tends to play more defensively. Um, so keep an eye on, on San Lorenzo because it's difficult to know um, what they're going to do when they perhaps should be going for it a little bit more. It will be a puzzle, mostly, because uh, yeah. they have a lot of matches with two defenders out, uh, even though uh, even though that Valdez is not the uh, main, perhaps, defender to, to to put when they have to play an important match, but mm-hmm. he was someone who, in case that there weren't any other uh, possibility, he wouldn't who will be there in the... In and, and the other thing with Valdez is he, he, he was carrying a bit of an injury when he arrived at St. Lawrence, so it was quite a yeah. sort of, uh, almost a, uh, a saga getting him into the club because they had to get into, he failed the medical initially and then they had to go back a week later and try and sign him again. Um, so it's not brilliant for him fitness-wise. Um, and now we get on to, to the big two, the two giants, not the big two, of course, they're two of the big five, but... Uh, We'll get on to the fifth member of the Big Five in a short while because they're, um, they've had an interesting time of it and we've got Peter with us who's been following it. But before we do, in the order that they've played, we must tackle, partly because these are two of the matches I actually managed to catch towards the end of the weekend, River Plate versus Lanús. Um, Andres mentioned earlier that Sebastián Abreu provided a fine assist uh, during the Rosario Central match. If you want to see, if you saw any finer assist in world football than the way that Keiko Michalba set up Fernando Cabernacchi's opener for River Plate. I want you to send me a YouTube video of it because as um, Rob Brown was, was watching it um, with me, we actually watched uh, Madrid against Barcelona 
and then headed back to my place to watch the second half of River Lanus. But when we saw the replay of the uh, the Kaminaki goal, uh, Rob's comment was that that is Burkamp esque. It's absolutely ridiculously um, controlled, flipped over the head of the defender, and then just knocks it into to Kaminaki's path. And Michel finished off with with a very very fine finish himself after the ball broke to him in the box at the end of a nice River move. River weren't spectacular, but they looked like they had a system. Actually, it looked like they knew what they were doing, Andres. What's, what's happened? Well, Michelba, as you said, Keiko Michelba. Sorry, I've not mentioned the score. It was 2-0. Yes. <laughs> River, River beat a pretty much full-strength Lanus, although, of course, motivation-wise, Lanus were questionable, given that they're in between two vital Libertadores matches, as we'll discuss in a minute. Yes, Lanus, and this, this, this was something also that surprised, uh, kept the ball more than River, but not in the very big difference. I think it was uh, 52 against 48 percent, mm-hmm. somehow like that. Uh, but uh, I think Lanús kept the ball in the first half, couldn't do uh, any damage because River, in this, in this case, defended well. Uh, perhaps kicking the ball away, uh, especially Balanta. But well, that's something that defenders have to do first. Then, if they can play, they 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 should play. But if they not, they can. They can give the ball away, give the ball away, and it's okay. Um, and Bicharba sim- was made simple, what was very tough, uh, because with the the hat that he made against uh, Pasquini and and Skeldos, uh, the lob. Yes, lob. Sorry, uh, that that lob was uh, uh, as fine as as surprising because mm-hmm. uh, no one expected that, and with, with, without. Touching the ball, uh, Mercado. From a ball that was lofted from somewhere from near the halfway line, right? Mercado the... kicked the ball away as uh, usual, yeah. and and Michalba, uh, converted that into a, into an assist because he he did uh, yes uh, very uh, a, a very nice play and, and uh, uh, leaving Cavanagh uh, like the the typical Tomayacelo like we say here. Uh, Score the goal and that and, and that's it. Uh, and in the second half, uh, yes, uh, another uh, another uh, nice uh, nice play by him, just kicking the ball, but uh, uh, from up up from the to the body of of Marquesin. And uh, I think he was the perhaps the the reason why River uh, won the match. Like Pisculici in some some cases uh, for Argentinos, in this case. Uh, Michalba, who who played because Teo Gutierrez was not uh, uh, was not ready for, to play because uh, he had uh, uh, an inflammation, I think. And well, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they this Ramon Diaz decided to keep him for for Boca for the Boca match, but we still don't know whether he will play or Michalba. Most Michalba's uh, got to after that performance, I think. But um, I think like. Andres alluded to there, it was like two moments of brilliance really that decided the game. I think if I was a Lanús fan, I might look back and look at a few missed chances, mm. particularly in the second half when they, I can't remember who it was, hit the bar. Abdullah Costa, yes. He, from a very good chance. There was, it was a bad, bad play by River at defence and, and Ismael Blanco took the ball and, and made a very good pass to Acosta, who was in the box, and he he kicked it from the volley, and yes, the volley. Well, I mean, he probably should have scored. He was yes. inside the six-yard box, and 
instead hit the ball. But the Danus wasn't as punchy as as as, as they, they didn't uh, was as deep as deep as as they could uh, have have been. Or well, it's, it's worth pointing out, as I sort of hinted, yeah. that uh, Lanús played in the Copa Libertadores on Thursday night, and the match that we're talking about was played Sunday evening. So Lanús really only had two full days to prepare for it, and their result in the Copa Libertadores last week, which happened after Peter and I recorded and Joel um, recorded last week's episode, but before it went online was a... 2-0 against uh, Deportivo Cali. Thank you, 2-0 win against Deportivo Cali, which leaves Lanús breathing just about in the Copa Libertadores. They're bottom of the group still. If they hadn't won that match, they would be out. Uh, well, they, yes, they, 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 would, they would be out because Cali would have a, a point more. They only have goal differences, a slim, slim hope. As it is, it's Cerro Porteño on seven, Deportivo Cali on six, O'Higgins on five, Lanús on four. So three, four teams separated by three points. Lanús are bottom, but could still finish top of the uh, top of the group because, of course, they've got two games left, um, and they've got another critical match uh, on Thursday night. Deportivo Cali play O'Higgins in two hours' time um, from on the recording, so it will already have been played by the time you're listening to this. Uh, but Lanús are at home to Cerro Porteño on Thursday evening at six thirty. So. Clearly, although as I mentioned, I was slightly surprised to see Lanús putting out a team that was as close to full strength as they did. But obviously, motivation is another matter entirely because they can't possibly go in full strength against River when they know that the Libertadores is taking priority. I'm interested how many times we said that tonight that Vélez, Arsenal, Lanús were crap, were distracted, were not mm. properly motivated in their league games in Argentina as a result of having just played or about to play in the Copa Libertadores. Which you've got to ask how much of a distraction, you know, exactly. is the Libertadores, how much does it detract from the Argentine League, from the performances in the Argentine League? So every team, the Rivers and the Mockers, who are maybe not there, what they want more than anything else is to play any team who happens to be involved in the Libertadores. Yeah. You've, got a great, you've got a great opportunity against them. I, I said a few weeks ago, in fact, that um, one, one thing that I think would help the Argentine League, uh, and, and I presume... Um, for similar reasons, leagues across South America as well would be if the Libertadores switched to, to a season-long competition. Um, don't allow any of the same teams into the Sudamericana and the Libertadores have played both of them throughout the course of the season. <coughs> Pardon me. Because <coughs> you'd have the same number of matches, of course, but they'd be spread over twice the amount of time, which would lead to far less fixture congestion. Um, it would be very interesting to see... Because the other point is that we've got another midweek round of matches coming up next week, so it's not going to be any no rest for the wicked, as it were. Um, but for that reason, River can take some um, heart from the result, let's say, whilst Lanús might not necessarily feel it's too much for them to worry about um, as such. But as Andres has mentioned already in passing, the big um, sort of monster coming over the hill for River Plate at the moment is the Super Classico. So having talked, we've already discussed Lanús a little bit, let's just uh, mention uh, Kilmes before we get on to Boca. They're crap, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there we go, we've mentioned Kilmes, that's all they deserve having. Um, they got a nil-nil draw at home to Boca Juniors. Mystic Sam had this one down as an away win, more because of how bad Kilmes are than because I actually have much faith in Boca. But however much faith you put in Boca, or however little faith you put in Boca, they're always capable of undermining even that small morsel. They were awful. Did they want, it was the, the one game I saw all of on Saturday and Sunday. They had no ambition and, and that, the proof of that is that uh, 
Carlo Bianchi and also uh, I think today Forlin said something similar that defensive play was good and you can't uh, you can't uh, yes you, you, you can't uh, pretend to be a champion or try to be a champion if you only say that we defended okay and because you have to win I'd, I'd like to try and obvi obviously uh, regular listeners will be aware that both Andres and I, who are the two who've commented so far since I brought Boca up, are River fans. Um, so to add at least some neutrality to it, because I promise we did look for a Boca fan and we weren't able to find any um, who were able to make it to the recording. Can either Peter or Dan please just either back us up or argue with us, but say something about how good Boca are at the moment, <laughs> particularly how good they were on Sunday. I think it's a pretty tall order to ask us to argue <laughs> against that. Against that. Uh, there isn't many positives to take from, from Boca at present. I, I try and watch their matches as a neutral as much as possible. Obviously, um, the, the predictions are part of, of what I do for a living. I read out the predictions on Mystic Sound, but it is actually going on the results that I'm predicting for my um, day job, writing betting previews. And so to some extent, you know, if I predict Boca to win, although I'm never as disappointed when they don't, as I am with other teams when their results don't go the same way, it's sort of a bit, sort of particularly when I, like it was this weekend, I had three out of the first nine, so Boca winning would have taken me up to four out of ten, which is respectable, not brilliant, but respectable for the Argentine league. Um, and so I try and sort of take a bit of a backseat, try and suppress my emotions a bit and, and sort of think, well, let's just see how they do and analyse them at least. And it was just... The, th the thing that struck me more than the lack of ideas was the ponderousness of it. They played so slowly. I don't know how they were hoping to, to break down the back line. Luciano Acosta's got a lot of pace, for instance, but even he wasn't really doing anything. The ball got to Riquelme or to Sanchez Mino, who were the two playmakers in the midfield, because uh, Sanchez Mino almost seems to be acting as an understudy alongside Riquelme these days. And he was doing exactly the same that Riquelme did, even though Sanchez Mino's got a lot more verticality, let's say, than, than Riquel may not more of a sort of burst to him. Um, neither of them looked at all inventive. Of course, Riquel may, a player that we know, could very well turn up on Sunday and, and make the difference with a couple of moments of absolute genius. I'm not denying that. But at least a way to kill Messi was... But the, the teammates, I think that they are, like... The, they, think, they, think, they think that they can depend on, on him, on Riquel mm. And physically, he's out of gas. Mm. He's, yeah. He he can't uh, even even though we, we always say, uh, say of of course River plays supporters that he's he's lazy that he's he's slow and we know that he's slow when he moves but then he he puts a ball that leaves the the striker head to head with the with the with the goalkeeper and he has not the he looks like he 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 didn't have the 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 he wasn't capable anymore of doing. That that kind of things, uh, and but I, I I saw this coming this uh, performance that Boca showed uh, against Kilmes when some players made uh, the referee uh, book book them like for example Daniel Diaz and I don't remember who else. Uh, the, sorry, not against Kilmes. Against the Argentina uh, deliberately picking up yellow cards so they can be suspended for this match yes. and be back for the Super Classico you're quite right I think it's another fine example of a very Argentine trait which I think is uh, exceptional um, pr uh, hope 
in faded figures, you know, whether it would be you know, Peron, whether it was Maradona, whoever it was, you know, Bianchi should obviously go, Riquelme's time has passed, yet there is this kind of faith in what these, in these legends that performed in the past, you know, it's time to move on, it's time to bring in younger people, I mean, Bianchi's time has passed, he's out of sync with the modern way, the modern way of thinking, he's got no new ideas, obviously it's time to go, but Boca fans, you know, keep this faith in, in the past you know and I'm sure there are Boca fans who would have Maradona back if they could you know so um, you know I think you know, Riquelme should, should have gone two seasons ago possibly although as you say he can produce magic very occasionally but it's less and less you know yeah, I less think and less occasions that, that is the problem I think his lethargy kind of spreads through the team because everyone looks to pass to him and when your central point is someone who doesn't really move and just looks to spread the ball around. That does impact on the, on how you set up as a team. And I think it does take any of the pace that even people like Sanchez Mino or Acosta had. Uh, before I uh, continue my comments, I'll just apologise if you heard me swear under my breath a second ago because I've just spilt a bit of fur on Peter's <laughs> carpet. So I'm now mopping it up. Um, the other thing that struck me after the match, um, I had Paso a Paso on to try and catch up with, which is the sort of Argentine version of Match of the Day. It's not quite as uh, good as Match of the Day, if that were possible to say. And trust me, I don't know Match of the Day, so I'm aware of how uh, unbelievable that sounds to Brit-based uh, listeners. Um, but uh, they had the post-match interview with Carlos Bianchi in the tunnel afterwards, and Bianchi, one of the things he said about the Kilmes pitch was... Uh, you know, the, the pitch. Oh, Nacional have gone 1-0 up. I didn't miss that. Uh, it's currently Nacional 1, Newell's nil in the 20th minute in Montevideo. So Newell's poor away form is continuing. Um, one of the things that Bianchi said about the pitch in Kilmes and how it affected Boca's planning was uh, it's a very narrow pitch. It's only 66 metres wide. And I sort of listened to him and just thought, well, what difference does that make when you've set the team up so narrow that they're probably only using about 40 metres of the width of the pitch anyway? It's not as if he's got his full-backs and a couple of wide forwards cutting in and hugging the touchline to try and create space for everybody in the middle. Um, I'm also sorry that your Boca Juniors playing Gilmez. Well, yeah. You know they have a smaller pitch and <laughs> you prepare the team accordingly. It's not so. as if they're a team who are just now playing their first ever match in the Primera and have got a pitch that's 50 metres by foot by 35 metres or something. It's, um, you know, Kilmas are an established Primera side that played 90-odd games probably against Boca in the professional era, so how on earth you can only just have noticed this now? I mean, another example, if it were needed, that Bianchi has, has lost it really, he doesn't really have control of, of the situation, you know, mm. time, time to go. Entirely. Um, I'll apologise for the background noise if you can hear it, although I always do this, and then when I'm editing the next day or later tonight, I can't actually hear it because the microphone's quite good at cutting it out, it would seem. Uh, now I'm going to play a little bit of music. We're going to recharge our glasses, principally because I, as I said, spilt uh, the remains of mine on the carpet. And we shall come back and we will look forward in a little more depth to precisely what we're expecting this Sunday at either 1815 or 1600 when River Plate visit La Monera to take on. Boca Juniors, don't go away.
so as we mentioned already, um, we should mention, by the way, that during that short musical interlude, although it's only about 10 seconds or 15 seconds for you listeners, um, it's been about five minutes for us. And during it, Alexis Castro has scored a fantastic uh, volleyed finish to put Newell's level away to Nacional. It's now 1-1 after 26 minutes. Um, the next thing that we mentioned that we've already sort of hinted at, that we've mentioned already, that we've warmed you up for, is that this Sunday is the big one. It's the match to end all matches in Argentina. It's the biggest match on the calendar, the Argentine equivalent of the FA Cup final. It remains so, even though they've actually got their own cup final in Argentina these days, because no one pays attention to that. Maybe they would if these two teams got into it. Uh, it is Boca Juniors versus River Plate on Sunday. Have they confirmed the kickoff time yet? No, I think it it's was been scheduled six, for ages at six fifteen. There was thought that they might move it from four to, to four pm. Uh, we we don't have anything definite yet. So if you're listening ahead of planning on going to it, keep in touch with whichever talk company you're going with, and just pay very close attention to what time they're planning on picking Who up. Who decides? The police, the TV companies, the well, the after decided initially. Uh, and then for safety reasons the police wanted to move it forward but whether it actually happens that way or not is another matter this is the ridiculous thing as well of course it's for safety reasons even though there are no away fans about it which makes a whole lot of sense doesn't it this is how big a match it is Um, two out from four to six I would have thought it's not going to also make a huge amount of difference no no that's that's the other point of course Um, Boca Let's have a look at Boca's recent form. As we've mentioned already, they didn't play very well on Sunday against Quilmes. Um, but overall, oh, that's the Torneo Inicial tab I've got open still. So, right, Boca got a disappointing nil-nil draw away to Quilmes on Sunday, as we've already mentioned, but they're actually unbeaten in four matches. Um, their last defeat was the 1-0 away to Vélez Sarsfield in the fifth round. Since then, they have recorded two wins and two draws. They've not been against the most impressive opponents. They beat Olimpo 2-0 at home. That's not bad, but I think they're very poor away, very good at home and so far. In the very final. poor in that game. I'm a, yeah, as, as Peter said, we're extremely poor in that game. Uh, since when they've claimed a, one, a 2 1 win away to Racing, who, as we all know, are dreadful. Um, a 1 1 draw <laughs> at home to Argentinos Juniors, which, as we mentioned last week, was um, one thing, it was hilarious uh, because it was deeply undeserved from Argentinos' point of view. But as I sort of tried to articulate last week, whilst being undeserved draw for Argentinos, it was an entirely deserved two-point drop for Boca because of how bad they were, particularly in the second half after taking the lead. Um, and then, of course, the nil against Kilmes, which we've already mentioned to you. River Plate, in those same uh, four matches... Why is that not clickable? I'm going to have to go to the top of the screen to load it now. No, no, maybe it is a fun... No, no, it's not. Your browser's frozen, Peter. This is most, <laughs> most inconvenient timing. Honestly, how can I be expected to record in these position in these uh, conditions? There we go, it's clickable now. Right, River Plate in those same four weeks have can we remember while well, we're waiting for this to load? They lost three two away to one boys. Let's ah right, last four matches. River actually un, uh, they've lost one in five and they're only unbeaten in one. Um, they've won all three of their last three home matches, one nil against San Lorenzo, one nil against Arsenal, two nil against all boys. Um, the two away games were a nil nil draw against Tigre which, I mean, is what everybody does against Tigre, apart from Colon. Um, and, of course, that 3-2 loss to All Boys. Who do we see as being in better form going into this match, then? Because neither of them are spectacular. No, uh, it's, there is a slight, a very, very slight difference in favour of River because, of course, the two points that the, 
they have uh, advantage uh, against Boca. They have 14 points against. Yeah, they've done our final table so far. It's, yeah. uh, River have got 14. River actually fourth in the table uh, with 14 points, four behind Colón and Boca are 12. Yes, and River is fourth, fourth or five or, or fifth. Fourth, I think. I think. Uh, well, that's because there are a lot of teams with. Uh, very, very few points difference. Indeed. We talked last week yes. and the week before about the narrowness of the championship race. It's opening up a tiny bit now, but uh, just to lead down the table, we've got Colón in first with 18 points, as I've already mentioned. Estudiantes de la Plata in second with 16 points. Um, Godoy Cruz third with 15. Ah, you're right, Andres Vélez fourth with 14 points. River just behind them on goal difference, also with 14 Olimpo and San Lorenzo also have 14 points. Uh, they're just behind River on goals scored both with eight scored and seven conceded. Uh, then on 13, it's Newells and Lanús, and on 12, Gimnasia, La Plata, Atletico de Rafaela, Boca Juniors, and, oh no, and Rosario Central, and also All Boys, if you can hear those cats, uh, by the way. Uh, aren't they lovely? They're not in this flat, believe it or not. Um, so that's the top 14 for you. It's still six points uh, for the top 14. If you talk specifically, specifically about the forum, about the results, if Boca had won the, the match against Argentina Juniors, that they were on the point of, of doing it, mm. they would be in the same position, equal. So, I mean, if the match had been two minutes shorter, yes. we'd be talking about a, a clear advantage to Boca here, given River's recent away form, um, and the fact that Boca were looking imperious at home, even when they don't look that imperious actually on the pitch, they're still getting the results. But of course, that late Piscolici equaliser appears to sway the... the the um, atmosphere around this Super Classico in, in many bizarre ways because it suddenly doesn't look as nailed on a Boca win as it would otherwise look. Yeah, but I think like even though they have similar records, at times River have actually looked quite, I'm hesitant to use the word impressive, but <laughs> for example, their 1-0 win over San Lorenzo, which was one of the, the, the results that you mentioned in this recent was actually was the match in which Teo Gutierrez missed a hat trick. Yeah, I in mean, spite of scoring the only goal, it was. But it was an impressive team performance mm. by River, um, and then you know beating Lanús at two 0 again is okay. It wasn't a, a great. They didn't blow Lanús away, but again it was, it was pretty. It was a pretty good performance. Whereas Boca's record, even with those wins, they've looked pretty dreadful in doing that. Last three last three matches, the River played as a home condition. They uh, they did it against play teams that are in the Copa Libertadores. San Lorenzo, Lanús. So we're saying what that that's a good thing because the opposition were Libertadores qualifiers, or that it's a handy thing for River because the opposition were thinking of the Libertadores more than the league. I think they're both. Yeah. And at the same time, Boca so was strong. Yeah. Whereas Boca were playing yeah. against shit teams, yeah, and still couldn't beat them. Yeah, the Kundis and Argentina's juniors, so it couldn't be more level in a way. And have River actually beaten Boca at the Bombonera since they returned to the Primera? River played. Do you know how many? Right, in, in official matches, this is something I put on Twitter a few days ago. So if you pay attention to my Twitter feed, uh, you obviously don't actually never use Twitter. Um, then you two might already know this, Andres and Peter. Um, but I was surprised by it because, of course, River have picked up a whole bunch of wins against Boca in summer friendlies recently, two this year and one draw, for instance, in January. In official matches, competitive games, how many of the last ten do you think uh, do you think River have won between these clubs? Not not in La Bombonera, in home or away. I don't have the the the, 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 the information, but I I do know that they. The River doesn't defeat Boca in official matches since 20, 2004. 
So 10 years ago uh, that they don't uh, get a win against Boca in the Bombonera. In the Bombonera, right. yeah. Home or away. And also in that match, didn't wasn't Cavanaghi the, yes. the goal scorer? Yeah. It's already 10 years since uh, the River have won at the Bombonera. Yes. Now is the time, obviously. Has to be, has to be, it'll be this Sunday. Home and away, River Plate have won one of the last mm. ten official Super Classicos. Um, the most recent victory against them, against Boca, uh, <laughs> slipping into my guest slot on River Plate radio there because they refer to them as them. Um, they don't refer to them by name. It's quite entertaining. Um, the most recent win that River Plate have had against Boca came. In the Torneo Apertura 2010, 1-0. Uh, that was the Super Classico in which, of course, it uh, at home in the Monumental, in which it appeared that River were going to be able to push on and, and avoid relegation at the end of that season. Of course, the, the subsequent one was the 2-0 win for Boca uh, in La Bombonera, which began a run of dreadful results for River, which culminated in the relegation prior to that. River had only, I think, lost one in the Torneo Clausura up to that point and they didn't end up winning another match until the end of the season uh, since River came back up to the A it has we've had a 2-2 draw in the Monumental in, during the Inicial 2012 a 1-1 draw um, last year in La Bomonera when Manuel Lancini scored the fastest goal in Super Classical history and a 1-0 Boca Juniors victory six months ago in the, uh, in the Monumental which I was at my first Super Classical uh, with Manu Gigliotti scoring the only goal the River otherwise uh, I hesitate to say dominant but clearly the better team apart from that goal um, but couldn't find a way through um, It's really got draw written all over in this game hasn't it, it has. I mean I think yeah. if anyone's going to inch it, it it might be River but uh, really I think you know, if you're going to put money on it, 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 it you know a draw a nil-nil draw probably I've said something very similar in my preview you, you River probably starts narrow the, the favourite result has to be drawn River might start as narrowly seeming more likely to get the win but because of their recent away record you can't really back them um, to get a win just because they've, they've not been good enough in, in, in recent away matches um, the other point that I was going to just mention was the overall history of the uh, uh, of the fixture because the all of the websites of course at least the ones that I've got open on the tabs here at the moment only include the professional era and I have a habit, an infuriating habit of including the professional era but also including friendlies played in the professional era um, or not doing both or just not making clear what they're including and what they're not including. So, in competitive matches only but including Copa Libertadores, um, league, various other cups that were counted as competitive and so on, in amateur and professional eras the results so far have been, there have been 232 competitive Super Classicals Boca Juniors have won 84, River Plate have won 75, and there have been 73 draws. Um, in 112 friendlies, because that's how many there have been so far between these teams, uh, we don't know. I, I couldn't be bothered to look the figures do, do, we care, do we care? Do we care? Fact, I deliberately left the yeah. things out for my, for my previews, so I, I don't care about them. But as we say, River have won. Um, River won two of the three that they played in January, with the other ending in a draw in so far this year. Um... Are we looking forward to it? 
I was going to ask, how relevant is this? We're talking about the team in fifth place and the team in, what, a Boca 12th place? Uh, I mean, OK, it's still a big game, but it's not exactly Barcelona-Real Madrid, is it? It's uh, as it was maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago. I, mean, I think it's I, fair to say that if it turns out to be a match that's anything like as good as Barcelona-Real Madrid was on Sunday, mm. we'll all be rather surprised as well. Um, but but one or the other, particularly yeah. River, if River win, they're up there in the title race. Boca can sort of join the join the race to a certain extent, but obviously, if, if River win and the teams above them drop drop any more points, River are right up there and challenging for the title all of a sudden, which is something they've not done since they came back up to yeah, the Primera. I think that's what makes it significant. Obviously, <laughs> sorry that they finished second. It's, <laughs> it's a huge game in Argentina, regardless. But I think that's what makes this more significant: is that a River win in La Bombonera. Obviously, we've spoken about it being 10 years since they've done that. Puts River in with a title race and, and probably causes a much bigger crisis in Boca. With them not playing well, there's a bit of discontent. And then, on top of that, River winning in La Bombonera, there would be a lot of uh, <laughs> pressure and a lot of questions being asked. It will, have, it, will have, it will have more to do with what happens in the leadership, with the leadership, because if Colón wins, they will... Uh, have 21 points and it would be, I think, unreachable for any any of, 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 of both. Uh, yeah, but if Colón drop points, yes, uh, you'd have River going up to 17 points. If Colón draw, it'll be they'll be on 19. Vélez, yeah. uh, as we mentioned, have Copa Libertadores. They they could easily lose concentration and drop some. So suddenly, then you start to have a very congested looking title race um, if if River can get a win. So wait and see. Is what we end up saying before every super well, every classical preview, never mind super yes. classical preview. For Boca, looks like uh, like happened some other uh, times that if they defeat River, they will save the year, mm. like they say here that uh, uh, only to to say that they won't defeat River and that's it, and well, uh, and, and supporters will be uh, happy that they uh, uh, prevented River from. From being in the in the fight for the title, that would be the nicest thing that could happen to Boca. Uh, even though they, if they win, they will have they will pass the line that River uh, because they are two points uh, behind uh, and, and that's it. And yes, for River, as you said, if Poland drop drop points, drops points, uh, and they win, they, they will be uh, uh, seriously in the in the fighting for 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 title. No, not because of play of the play, but because of the of the uh, lately results, right? Is it still a game that kind of grips the nation? Everything stops for. I mean, you you would probably know, you know, as an Argentine, they're, they're better than you know. The fact that Colón are up there and Godoy Cruz are up there, you know, these little teams are fighting for the championship. I mean, is River Boca the Super Clásico still a game that people are interested in outside oh, of the football? That's sort of the footballing fraternity. Well, outside the footballing fraternity, probably not. But I mean, the footballing fraternity in Argentina is ninety percent of <laughs> yeah, the population. I guess. I guess. Uh, and you know, th- these two teams between them do still have two thirds of the of the football supporters in the country, pretty much evenly split. Boca have. Slightly more as, as census has slightly depressingly continued to show us, but uh, you know, there you go. Um, let's just a quick rundown of the players, by the way, because I've uh, looked up the suspensions and injuries and whatnot. And uh, having mentioned that everybody tries not to get suspended for all of their big classicals, you see exactly the same thing with the La Plata Classico, the Rosario Classico, Independiente Racing when it's played, and so on. 
Um, and there's actually one player suspended for each team this coming Sunday. Uh, Federico Bravo got sent off against Kilmes um, for Boca Juniors, so he's suspended. And Leonardo Mancioni for the straight red card that he got against all boys uh, during the 3-2 defeat two weeks ago. A straight red card equals a two-match suspension, so he's also out. And of course he's, uh, I would say River have lost a slightly more vital player than Boca in that respect, because Mancioni is key down their left. Um, Fernando Kamenaki is, is doubtful for River, he's got an injury to one of his big toes. That was just a back falling on the floor, don't be alarmed. Uh, he's got an injury to one of his big toes, we're not told which one, or at least we weren't when I looked them up last night. Pablo Ledesma is a doubt for Boca with a hamstring, and there are two definite outs with injuries. Diego Rivera for Boca has a meniscus thing, and Juan Carlos Menseguez, who is pretty crap anyway, uh, is out for River with a left knee injury. And, and talking about the, the left back, uh, I am af- I'm afraid, I, 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 won't, I don't want to scare well, you. Uri Rivera is not going to date you. No, so, but he, but Ramon Diaz tried to uh, put him on the on the on, on an hypothetical uh, first team. We should clarify, obviously, for listeners yeah. who aren't aware that Bruno Uribarri, um, as we mentioned at the start of the season in February, um, was signed by River from Colón on a free transfer. He's one of the players who left Colón due to unpaid wages. Um, River snapped him up on a free. He, he says he's supported River his whole life, but of course he came up through the Boca youth system. Due to a combination of injuries and not being very good, he has yet to make his River Plate debut. Um, and of course, having never played for River before, if he were to make his River debut in La Bombonera against the team that he that produced him from the years. In, in favour of him, we have to say that he knows the Bombonera because he started playing there. <laughs> he he uh, he did, did, he made his debut uh, playing for Boca. So uh, at least he knows the Bombonera playing there. So. Uh, well, we have to say there. Then that. Then, then we don't know uh, whether if it was something that Ramon Diaz did in order to distract, or if he really thinks uh, is thinking in, in putting him as uh, the left back. I think that uh, he won't do any any, rare, any strange changes, and and they will, there will be a smart Ferreira there. But uh, at least uh, the information says that he he put him in, in the. Informal in the training mm-hmm. uh, as as a, as a how do you say an ensayo uh, the, the, the as a trial perhaps uh, then we will see but well at least today it was like uh-huh. Rivari was there in the yeah it'll be interesting uh, Tell is fit by the way according to River Club doctors right then there is one thing now left before we get on to Lister's questions and it is the absolute shitstorm that continues to circle around Avellaneda, uh, the red half of it. We were planning on having a little bit of a lower league section this week because there have been some interesting um, results in the B and also last night I was half watching, I wasn't really paying very much attention, to uh, a third division, Clásico, because in the Sona Oeste, Deportivo Morón hosted Deportivo Merlo and Gustavo was going to be on. Um, unfortunately I had to pull out earlier today He's, he wasn't able to make it here to record so we're not able to do anything with him but that match was won by Merlo I'm not going to bother going into um, what it meant for the second, uh, the third division standings because none of you give a toss um, but in the second division there was some movement was there not uh, we had let me just remind myself uh, Banfield were held 0-0 by Estudiantes that was when it kicked off, that was second against 
fourth or fifth, wasn't it? Um, and the reason it was second rather than first for Banfield was that Defensa Justicia had already claimed a 2-1 victory away to Villa San Carlos. Um, following that match, Sarmiento hosted Independiente de Avellaneda, not the not the de Mendoza, um, and they claimed a 2-0 victory, which leaves. Oh, I haven't noticed that. In fact, I just have. Which leaves uh, Independiente for the moment would have to play a playoff, a tiebreaker against Instituto, to claim the final promotion spot. They're level on points on 45 points. Independiente behind Instituto on goal difference, but of course, as, I, um, as, as we always say, if two teams finish level on points, they 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 tiebreak rather than looking at goal difference to to uh, decide any important positions. Um, Defensa Justicia on 57, the bus company team, and Banfield on 56 in second place. Peter, on the pitch, first of all, uh, what did you make of Independiente? Just a few words, we're not going to talk for them. Dreadful. Uh, well, we've said that nearly every week when I've had to talk about Independiente that even when they were winning, they weren't particularly impressive. I think a lot of their wins were dependent on just simply individuals individual performances rather than independent as a team I think that earlier in the season Matthias Pisano and uh, and obviously Montenegro mm. now the individual players performances have dropped and independent as a whole don't really look like winning matches one um, thing that I've only just noticed while you've been talking by the way sorry to interrupt is that uh, of course Crucero del Norte two points behind independent and Instituto 43 they're the other bus company too um, but Samiento with that victory have actually brought themselves level with Crucero del Norte I, I didn't realise that Sarmiento were that close to uh, the promotion challenge as well, so it's an incredibly interesting. Well, I mean, when but you it's look... Tuto in third on 45, down to San Martino in eighth on 42, and even then, I mean, the two, two teams below them are on 41. You've only got 14, four points separating third from tenth. Um, with... How many matches are there of the season? 42, aren't there? So with 12 games to go, well, 12 or 13, some of these teams have only played 29 still. Yeah, I mean, that was the, my concern, which I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, is that with Banfield, with, with the top two, really, now they've obviously switched places, but at the time, they've, made, they've cut themselves away from the pack, but Independiente are right in the thick of a huge number of teams. Yeah, and um, it's not difficult to see where the difference lies as well. I mean, as someone who doesn't watch much of the second division, you just look at the goals for and conceded columns. Defensivo Justicia have let in 32, Banfield have let in 29, Instituto in third have let in 33, Independiente in fourth have let in 26, they've actually got the second best defence in the division. Uh, Crucero del Norte have let in 24, Sarmiento 33 and so on. They're all much of a muchness there. Mm. The top two, Defensivo Justicia have scored 53, Banfield have scored 51, Instituto in third have got 39 and they're the third highest scorers in the division. Oh no, sorry, they're not. Union have scored 40, but let in 38, they're down in 11th. Um, but there's a massive difference and it's in attack and that's the one respect in which for example River during that season in the B as we mentioned uh, I think the first or second time you were on the podcast Peter River just very uh, viscerally tore several teams to shreds which is something that defensively was this year <laughs> bizarrely and Banfield had, had scored in the previous two games three games in each game and they didn't win Mm. They they drew drew against Independiente and lost against Defensa y Justicia five three. So it's oh, well. it's it's uh, the opposite that happens with Primera División with the first division, mm. which is there are few goals. It's 
Nilil, Wanil, Chuan, Triwan, perhaps, and, and National Bay is uh, quite different in that, in that uh, uh, talking about uh, the, the goals that they score uh, every match. The reason, however, that we really need to talk about Independiente this weekend is not due to on-pitch. Uh, well, it, of course, on-pitch stuff feeds into it because the on-pitch uh, troubles mean have fell into yet more off-pitch trouble. Uh, Peter, can you give us a, a brief precis of what's been going on uh, in and around the Independiente headquarters in Alessia, who, in the last couple of days? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah, hey, you, you might know more than me. Bebote, Big Baby Alvarez, the uh, head of the Independiente Barra Brava, visited Independiente's headquarters yesterday wearing a motorcycle helmet. Yeah. And according, Ole are very excited. In fact, now I've got their uh, website up. Uh, he, he returned today, but without a helmet, as uh, Ole ominously put it, what this means. Who knows? I presume it means he wasn't wearing a helmet when he returned. Um, what's going on? Can Cantero well, stand much longer? Can Cantero, the, the president of Independiente? No, I don't think so. I mean, after the game on uh, Monday night, there was strong rumours that he had resigned, and since then, obviously, there's been hundreds of people outside the, the headquarters in Avicenna. There's been graffiti plastered all over the place. And the article that I now have up online in front of me claims that Pablo Alvarez's uh, attempts at the moment are not just to kick out Javier Cantero, but to become president of Independiente <laughs> himself. <laughs> Obviously, it wouldn't be the first time that a Barra Brava has become president because we've had it at Valle uh, Southfield, uh, who, whose former president was a Barra himself and was very proud of the fact uh, that he had fought with the English hooligans during the 1986 World Cup ahead of England Argentina in the Azteca. Um, but it would be worrying, given the political situation at Independiente, over the last few years, it would be real, and you know, given the fact that the fans, for the most part, have been very, very vocally in favour of Cantero, not so much for what's happened on the pitch, but certainly in his stand against the Barras, where he's essentially excluded them from the stadium for the first time in what well, living memory in Argentine Stadia, um, the Barras haven't been allowed into some games. Uh, it would be really worrying if if the fans ended up being. Uh, feeling disenfranchised uh, or disillusioned enough with the current situation to, to vote in an active batter as well it's not even as if he's an ex-batter brother No, uh, it's, well I think it's just always a bit worrying when somebody announces they would like to run for president wearing a motorcycle helmet <laughs> it's not something you see every day but adds to the kind of farce that surrounds Independiente at present I mean, Cantero's withstood the pressure up until now. I mean, he's not the first crisis that he's had to face, you know. So, I mean, the man knows what he's up against. He's got support, you know. So you do wonder whether, you know, this is a battle that's reached some kind of crisis point. But if he emerges from this one, maybe he'll be stronger as a result. So it could go either way, you know. But you just imagine what the atmosphere is like in the dressing room with the you know, last week's you yeah. know, rape charges and players, you know, who's talking to who, who's siding Sorry. with who. So. This is something we didn't mention last week, Dan, so could you um, expand on it, the, the, the rape charges? I can't remember the names, the names of the two players involved, but the girlfriend of one player, uh, I mean, the players were, were out for, for an evening out, they went to stay, so two players and the girlfriend of one of the players went to stay at the house of one of the players near to the training ground, 
that particular night, one of the girlfriends claimed that the player who was not her boyfriend sexually abused her, raped her. Um, you know, that's being investigated by the police. Um, you know, again, doesn't does nothing to help camaraderie in the changing rooms, you know, so obviously splits in the club. There's really just another farcical crisis to add to the many, many problems that Independiente are facing on the pitch and off the pitch. Yeah, and uh, yesterday evening, to add on to all of this as well, Christian Tula was on uh, TSA Sports, uh, was being interviewed by them, and he, he said he, he, on live television, uh, said that Javier Cantero told us that there's, there's no money, he can't pay our wages. Um, so... All is not well in the world of Independiente. Um, yeah, and I think when you mentioned River earlier and their time in in the Bay, that for me that seems to be the, the, the difference. That I think River kind of made a statement when they went down and, and actually brought players in. Mm. And okay, it's always embarrassing for a, a big club to go to be relegated. But I think the, the other point, of course, was that when River went down, they'd actually, if you looked at the season-long table for the 2010-11 season, River finished sixth. Uh, if they hadn't, if they'd avoided relegation, if, if they if they'd managed one point more over the course of the season in order to uh, avoid the relegation playoff, they would have been allowed into the Copa Sudamericana. That, that, that's how well they, they had one of the best teams in the country, and they improved it going into the B whereas of course Independiente went down so what I'm saying is River went down in spite of the campaign they'd had over the previous season whereas Independiente went down precisely because of it um, they didn't have the sixth best team in the country they, they were very far from doing so and they've not really known they to do well obviously Montenegro no. coming back it's a Philip but, it's but he came back in the, in the league in the season when they went down of course you're right he did of course so I mean actually in the in the, in the window of actually being relegated, it, it, there hasn't really been any strengthening, um, and I think you know they're now being punished for that, really. Mm. And, and when River went down uh, to the National B, they uh, they had also two big rivals, which were Instituto de Córdoba and Rosario Central, uh, and who, who they finally uh, uh, didn't. Uh, uh, promote in that uh, tournament I think it was Quilmes then Rosario Central the, the following one yeah. but it was also thought tough for River not that easy uh, they, they were always in the promotion zone as we've discussed yes. a few times regarding yeah. Independiente Independiente are finding it as hard to secure third place at the moment as River did to secure first place uh, with the difference of course that River right from the end of the first round of matches River didn't drop out of the promotions of the automatic promotion spots of course at the time there were only two automatic promotion spots River remained the entire season in first or second place whereas it's taken Independiente Independiente was it 18 matches before they got into third um, so notably less impressive and, and now if round. Independiente doesn't start start winning they could fall easily to sixth or well, seventh well even lower I mean we're easily, looking at yeah. the table how tight it is mm. you could Conceivably, within two rounds, drop to 10, 11. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's how. And imagine that. You could, you could be 10th, you could be one point behind the team in third. Um, but of course, if you're 10th, there are going to be riots. There's no, going to be big, yeah. big babies going to come out again. 
If they don't bounce back in that first season, you know, that first attempt, and who knows, they could languish in the bay for who knows how long. You know, mm. you see it in leagues all over the world, the English league. You know, you go down to the, the championship, how difficult it is to get out if you don't make it in that first, bounce back in that first season. Look at Leeds United. Yeah, well, yeah. Just occurred to me that Independiente might make it a leg of Leeds United. In <laughs> and that, um, anyway, the, by the end of the year, there, sh- there should be elections. So they, they asked Cantero to leave the club to resign, if, perhaps forgetting that they, they, they should uh, cho- choose a new president by the end of the of this year. I, mean, I know that Cantero is not going to stand again. I mean, he's already said he's not going to stand uh, for re-election again. Possibly if Big Baby continues to uh, be so vocal about it. Um, who knows uh, fingers crossed Cantero decided to but even then I can't really assuming that, that there's another, uh, someone standing against him it's not a Barra Brava uh, I think we'd have to assume that, that the opponent would win at this point because Cantero is not as I say independent fans at least from the ones I've spoken to and the ones who I've, I've uh, um, heard from agree entirely with his stance on the Barra but are against him in terms of what's happened in the club which yeah. I think is part of the reason that he doesn't want to start again. The other reason being that if he did start again and won, his, his life would probably be in danger um, as a result of, of the anti barra stuff. Anyway, right. That's our uh, Independiente roundup for the week. We're now going to play a tiny bit more music and we shall come back and we'll answer some questions from you lovely listeners. from Joe T.T. who says holy exclamation mark I found some podcast gold hand of pod covering English language affa thank you very much Joe that's a very kind comment thank you for recommending us um, Liam Kelly who as I always say is no relation to me says of the River Plate players who return on lo- return from loan in June who will return and stay and who will leave fortunately I looked these questions up before we started recording, so I've already got a list of players currently on loan from River Plate. I shall now read it out, and I shall ask nobody to interrupt me whilst I'm doing so. Gaspar Servio, who I've never heard of, is a goalkeeper and is on loan to Banfield. Gonzalo Marinelli, who I have heard of, is a goalkeeper and is on loan to Atletico de Rafaela. Leandro gonzalez Pires is a defender who's on loan to Ghent in Belgium. Luciano Abecasis is a defender who's on loan to Quilmes. Diego Martinez is a defender on loan to Sarmiento de Junín. Esteban Espindola is a defender on loan to Atletico de Rafaela. Jonathan Bottinelli is a defender on loan to Universidad Católica. Deep breath. Facundo Afrancino is a, def- is a, mi- a midfielder, medium fielder, on loan to Belgrano. Juan Casares is the Ecuadorian midfielder who played a few matches last season for the first team on loan to Banfield at the moment and playing quite well from what I hear. Ezequiel Serigliano is a midfielder. Yes, he is, isn't he? Yeah, I was getting confused with someone else. Um, on loan to Hellas Verona. Luis Vila, never heard of him. Striker on loan to Centro Deportivo Olmedo in Ecuador. 
Gustavo Bow, el delantero, la striker, online gimnasia Prima La Plata. David Tresegay, forward, online to Neville's Old Boys, as we discussed before the beginning of the uh, recording. And Rodrigo Mora, <laughs> forward, online to Universidad de Chile. That is a total of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 players out on loan for River. In Tresegay's case, we were talking about it before we started recording, because it's very easy to forget he's on loan. He's doing very well for Newells. He's doing sterling work, in fact. And believe it or not, because he wanted to leave when it became apparent that Ramon Diaz wouldn't be taking him into account, um, he wanted to go. River couldn't find anybody who would pay a transfer fee for him. So River Plate are still paying three quarters of David Tresegay's wages. They have been since he joined Newells at the beginning of the Torneo Inicial. One of the many, many respects in which River fans feel that Daniel Passarella edged the club into a corner and is stealing money from them. Um, Andres, you'll be the fellow River fan. Of the names I've just listed, which I shall now move around slightly so that you can see them, which of those would you expect to come back? No, sorry, which, yes. which would you expect uh, to come back and stay and which would you expect to come back and go? I, I don't think that the goalkeepers will, will stay because... Uh, They're both uh, very young, aren't they? Yes, the River has uh, Barbero and, and, and Gigi Sola. They had the goal well covered. Mm. So, I don't think... Uh, we will have to see González Pires, who is not in game. He's in Arsenal now, right now. He came back from Belgium yeah, and yeah. now he's Arsenal. Well, I, I should clarify that I just put yes. this up on Wikipedia so that it's slightly out of date. I, I don't think that there will be very, very much players staying really in River for fighting for a, for a place. I mean, Cassis, I would think they'll let him go. He's, he's decent, but he's not fantastic. Um, yeah, I, 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 I would... I don't mind. Bottinelli, I would think, is on his way I would out. give another another uh, opportunity to Casares, who yeah, is definitely. doing good in Manfield, and, and then perhaps Sirigliano. I don't know if... Uh, there, will, there will be coming some directives from, from Verona to discuss about the, mm. the buy, the, the, the definite buy of the, of the transfer uh, for the, of Sirigliano. But I, I would uh, like him to be in the team if, if uh, Verona finally doesn't buy him. Because we have to remember that Ledesma is... Uh, I, perhaps June he will... I don't know if he will be retired right in June or in December, but retirement of Ledesma is near. And, yes. And uh, he, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Poncio is not playing very well and, and Ramon Diaz is not taking him into account. So uh, the only uh, midfielder, central midfielder that can play today and, and has some project, project he can project from the, uh, here to the future is Granameter uh, so yeah. I will I will like him to be there if if he doesn't go definitely to Verona but I, I yeah. suspect that Casares um, as you say is, is going to be coming back to River to stay at least a season I mean he, he presumably uh, um, it seemed fairly clear to me when he got at least my initial Assumption was that he'd gone to Banfield yes. precisely because Banfield are managed by Matias Almeida, although he's not, you know, uh, managing River anymore. Although he was let go, has, has retained fairly good relations with the club. Um, so I, my thought, my thinking would be that Casares will be coming back to River to stay. Then I know Spinola Lopez is a defender, and it will depend on, on if Valanta stays or, or leaves. Yeah. Um, and the other one is uh, Gustavo Bo is, is an interesting one for me because he's not shown himself to be brilliant but he's very he's still only about 19 isn't he 
Um, and he seems to have been coming up from Rivers Euphrax for a couple of years or so already. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they gave him another go. Tressigay as well, I don't think they're, they're ever going to entirely close the door on. Tressigay might very well end up retiring uh, at Newell's, or he might come back to River for another six months or, or for another season. And um, Mora, well, we know that Mora will want him. Yeah, Mora's going to go as soon as they yes. get rid of him. Uh, if he never comes back to River, he'll be more than welcome to never come back to River. Tom Robinson says, If you were in charge of the AFA, what measures would you introduce to, to improve the quality of domestic Argentine football? I think it's more if you were the economy minister of Argentina, would it not be? The, the one thing that, that strikes me more than anything is, is to take away dollar restrictions to allow more, the clubs to get hold of more dollars into the country to allow players to stay a little bit longer because they're being paid more competitive wages. Now, obviously, it's a much more complicated now. The clubs have to be able to get the money from somewhere anywhere. But it's, a, it's more of an economic problem than a footballing problem. I'm not trying to say the foot down. It's got a very doubtful look on his face. No, I'm, no, I'm I agree. I'm not trying to say for one second. I agree, I agree with you. Football I, yeah, is the yeah. only problem. The, the, uh, no. Sorry, the football and the way the alphas run isn't a huge part no. of the problem. Um, but the clubs ultimately run themselves within the restrictions that they right. have within You're the Argentine right. Football economy. clubs are a victim of the current economic problems in Argentina. There's no, no, no doubt I, about that. Yeah, and as I mentioned on last week's episode, mm. uh, it's very, very hard, particularly for, say, River and Boca, who've undoubtedly fallen off in the last decade in terms of the massive financial advantages that they used to have over the rest of the league. It's happened almost coincidentally with the period since the crisis in 2001. Um, for a few years after that happened River and Boca continued to win stuff and since then they've fallen away as that advantage got chipped away at um, so it's, it's, it's economic I think Yeah I mean I don't know what the number is now of Argentine players playing abroad but it's over a thousand yeah. Argentine players playing, playing abroad and any league in the world who have, has their thousand or so best players not playing in their league I mean how, how do you complete, compete in many ways it's remarkable that the Argentine league is as good as it is when you consider how many of their best players yeah. are abroad so uh, there's still players who can control the ball and they can still you know they kick the ball in a straight line which is pretty remarkable you know you consider the number of English players playing abroad was it five, six, seven it's over a thousand Argentines you know it uh, says something about the current situation follow Les Rospeefs on Twitter they're uh, very good uh, for English players abroad there are a few more than you mentioned but of course as you're talking at the very elite level it's, it's basically none in English terms and rather a lot in Argentine terms um, Peter Andres do you have anything to add to suggestions? I, I would definitely quit the, the average table because uh, yes. okay. the, team, the teams and the players that they play in every team that they is uh, in danger of, of relegating they, they are always looking at the table and they say we have to uh, I don't know uh, to to make the, some this amount of points and and, and, and they are constantly uh, looking forward uh, about that that they, they how many points they have to do to save from relegation and if you only take care of the t t positions table that uh, will be how you do in that particular tournament and, yep. and that's it. I'd agree with that actually. I would also say, of course, uh, if you were in charge of AFA, if, if I was in charge of Conmebol, I would uh, carry out the proposed change that I mentioned earlier to the, the way the Continental Cup is structured. But obviously, if you were in charge of AFA, you'd be Julio Borondano, so you'd be able to have a word in the president of Conmebol's ear about that because you'd be the fourth most powerful man in world football. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Peter? Uh, just a slightly more broad 
I think I'd probably remove every other cretin within Affirth that is currently there. Um, <laughs> uh, run it as a personal fiefdom. I don't know, personal, I, I'm, I'm not quite that arrogant to suggest that me alone would be able to uh, revive. The, the, but you definitely the, wouldn't be right. <laughs> no, based on your suggestions, perhaps you'd all have uh, jobs in mind. Okay. My tyrannical um, leadership. I'll bear that in mind when you uh, succeed Grondona in the middle of next year. Um, Igor Stanislav asks, which of the, I presume, the Argentine teams currently participating in the Libertadores has the most swagger about their playing style? Swagger, I think we're watching uh, yeah. the moment, aren't we? If we're talking about playing style, then we're going to have to say Newell's. Yes, I'm sorry, yeah, you're right. Since this is not a video cast, it's a podcast, I should point out and just remind people that we are watching Newell's. Um, Arsenal, I said, didn't say have, have swagger. Uh, Vélez have a certain amount, they, they, they play decent stuff. San Lorenzo at the moment definitely don't, and the Balsa and the others, Lanús, have on their day, but as we already mentioned, they're hanging on by the skin of their teeth, so it's not really uh, showing much at the moment. Whereas Newell's away from home, iffy, but at home, uh, very, very few complaints, albeit they had uh, the points stolen from them by Gremio after last week's recording. We mentioned whilst recording last week that they were 1 0 up when we finished recording. Um, they ended up throwing that away with a very, very late equaliser for Gremio at home. But I think we can all say Mules. Um, finally, Connor has two more questions. First of all, he says, What are the best Clásicos which are currently not being played due to the teams being in two different divisions? I think there's one really obvious one that I can <laughs> see out the corner yeah, of my eye yeah, Peter wants yeah. to ask, uh, to, to mention. Well, I think yeah, we can all... It's obviously Argentinos versus Platense. Right? <laughs> That's what I was just about to say. Oh, have just got 2-1 up. No, Continue, ob- yeah, obviously the, the Avicenado Classico is one of the biggest games in Argentine football, regardless of if you're an independent wrestling supporter. So. I'm going to throw the name uh, Cordoba in there as well Belgrano in the Primera obviously Instituto and Tacheres are both in the Segunda and, uh, in, in the Segunda sorry we yeah. to Spain in the B um, arguably in fact Belgrano was uh, Tacheres against Instituto is the main Clásico in Belgrano so uh, in, in Belgrano bloody hell I should start all of that sentence again Belgrano currently in the Primera Instituto and Tacheres currently in the B and arguably the two in the B actually have the main Clásico in, uh, in Cordoba I almost said it again then um, because arguably Belgrano are the third largest club in Cordoba, but Belgrano against Tacheres in particular, or, or Instituto. Yes, and, ah, and there was a time when Belgrano, Tacheres and Instituto, Instituto were all three in the, the first division. Mm-hmm. And, and also San Lorenzo Huracan is another... another oh, good show, yeah. Yes, big, at least Buenos Aires Clásico, because they are both in, in the... In the, in the Capital. Mm. I mean, do you think Racing fans would secretly like to see Independiente get promoted, or do they revel in their misery? I mean, because they miss they miss the classical. I think right? they'll miss the classical after a couple of years. I, I don't think they'll be uh, missing it too much at the moment. I remember when when River went down. I remember saying on uh, one of the uh, the hand of pods that we recorded around that time that I have a, a Newell's um, friend. I've actually never met her. She, she's a contact that I know by a Flickr. Um, and uh, but she's a Newell's member. She goes to all the all the matches. And when Central went down, I, I said to her, "You're not going to miss the Clásico in some way." And she just went, "No, fuck them. <laughs> Don't care." 
I don't believe them though. I don't believe them when they say that. For think, a season, for a season, yes. For a season yes. two, you want them back. If, if you yeah, last no, more than two or three yeah. years, I can see how you could miss it. I mean, certainly when, uh, well, I'm a Manchester United fan, obviously City uh, spent their time in the lower divisions relatively recently. Non non English listeners might be surprised to hear, and it certainly after a while you sort of started to think, sort of really wish them any any. Well, at the time they seemed harmless enough. Actually, they seemed like the little brothers, so it was like, yeah, it'd be quite nice to have the derby guy. And we forgot Lanús Banfield, which I think it will be played again soon because Banfield and the Messi Justicia will will be the Messi Justicia for the first time in their in their history will be in the. Third division, I think. Yeah. Um, any others that we can think of? Racking our brains. I think those are the main ones, aren't they? Argentinos against Platense, obviously. Yes. Danos, it's, been, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a while. I can, I can oh, see you yeah. really, really wanting to say. And finally, Connor uh, also asked the last question. He says, has a Estudiantes switch to Adidas kits resulted in more people wearing their jerseys or at least are they more visible in stores to clarify we should point out that Estudiantes kits were previously made by Topper uh, who are a fantastically named local Argentine uh, they are Argentine are they they're not Brazilian yeah. I thought they were Brazilian last year when my uncle came to visit but it turns out they were Argentine I think uh, who actually make Newell's kits that I can now see on the television um it's not really, no. I mean, certainly not more people. I don't know anybody who picks which kit they're going to wear based on which manufacturer makes it. It tends to be which team you support. But uh, more visible in stores, yes, to some extent. Um, in central Buenos Aires, at least, obviously in La Plata, I'd be very surprised if they're any more visible than they were before. Um, so the short answer is in Buenos Aires, no to the first one, but yes to the second one, I think. Yeah, I'd have thought statistically you're probably going to be able to... If, if you were bothered to contact Topper and this is the thing <laughs> Topper Topper are a brand that very few of our listeners abroad are going to be familiar with but within Argentina they're I mean they're not as big as Adidas who of course make the national team kids but they're as big in football yeah. terms let's say as Nike for instance who yeah. don't make any of the first division team kids and I think oh okay. yeah that <laughs> that rattles <laughs> genuinely forgotten Rossi used to have also Nike but then mm. they they didn't continue. Yeah, but Adidas, of course, they give you a more international uh, spot than, than, than Topper. That's, yeah, that's so internationally, important. obviously, but uh, domestically, yes. not yeah, much. And certainly sense. around Buenos Aires, it hasn't resulted in a massive people starting to wear Estudiantes shirts. No. And the only thing now that remains for us to do is for you to sit through the couple or two or three minutes of complete irrelevance, which is Mystic Sound. So here is his music. Nacional have been awarded a penalty they have scored it we don't know whether it was correctly awarded or not it was for handball against Gabriel Hainsey but the replays didn't really give us any of the wiser at all and Andres Ecotti the Uruguayan international defender has hammered it into the roof of the net past Alberto Guzman and it's now Nacional 2 it was on boys 2 with 28 minutes to go 28 minutes and uh, 17 seconds all boys versus Godoy Cruz here are Mystic Sam's predictions should have introduced that properly shouldn't I all boys v Godoy Cruz is going to be an all boys victory. Estudiantes versus Olimpo de Bahia Blanca. Draw, uh, given that Olimpo's away form is a bit iffy. Belgrano de Cordoba versus Argentinos Juniors. 
Dan, what do you think? I think a 2-1 victory for Argentina's Juniors. Okay, I'm going to go for a draw in that one. Largely, Belgrano have drawn something like six of the last four, uh, sorry, six of the last eight home games, and Argentina also have drawn like five of the last seven away or something like that. Uh, Vélez Sarsfield versus Gimnasia La Plata. Draw, but if you want good value on the betting side of things, have a look at both teams to score. Newell's Old Boys versus Quilmes. Newell's aren't going to have the most preparation time after this match, but all the same, they've got to win against Quilmes at home, surely. Uh, Atletico de Rafaela versus Racing Club. Atletico have to win that one, surely. Lanús versus Rosario Central. I think Lanús are going to be narrow favourites going into that one. Arsenal de Sarandí against Colón. Arsenal play on Thursday night in the Copa Libertadores. I think that could make the difference. I'm going to go for Colón to pick up an away win. Tigre versus San Lorenzo. Really? Do I have to say this out loud? Nil-nil draw. Or possibly 1-1, but probably nil-nil. Um, and Boca Juniors versus River Plate. You've already heard it, really, because we said it earlier, but I think it's probably looking like a draw. Uh, River have looked much better recently, but Boca... It's the Super Classic of Boca are going to raise their game and they've got home advantage, so I'm going to go for a draw. Does anybody particularly disagree or very, very strongly agree with any of those? Uh, I think I would. I might go for Estudiantes to, to win at home by one goal to nil. Okay. As, and, and maybe, unfortunately for Dan. Me, me too. <laughs> me too, so I, I, I don't strongly agree, I only agree. I think it's difficult to ever strongly disagree or agree with Argentinian uh, yes. results. I, I don't necessarily strongly agree with any of them myself, and I'm always <laughs> right to them. So. Yeah. A couple of those draws, I might go check, like go for home wins, Belgrano and Estudiantes, is the two that spring to mind. I'm going to go for a river win against Boca. I think, you know, just because it hasn't happened for so long, it's kind of time. You know, perhaps they need it a little more than Boca need it. I don't know. A river win. Kazanagi to score uh, the winner 10 years on from doing so. <laughs> well, there you go, the perfect fairy tale. With his sore toe. Um, that's all we've got time for this week on Hand of Pod. And it's possibly all that we've got battery power for as well because it's close to running out, which is convenient since we're about to stop recording. Um, so I would like to say thank you and, uh, and goodbye. And please come back next week, first of all, from Andres. Bye. Uh, next from Peter Bye. and then from very very special guest uh, German Dan can I say Bastian Schweinsteiger before I go you can yeah. feel free uh, Bastian Pigmounter as I <laughs> totally. the literal translation um, we'll see you again in about a year's time about a year about that <laughs> but more or less it's, it's uh, that time of year when summer moves into autumn and uh, goodbye and please come back next week from me goodbye Thank you.